Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Temps of Leadership podcast. My name is Eric Claus, and I have the honor to be able to be your host. In this episode, I have a conversation with a fantastic leader in chief of Robertson County EMS, Mr. Brent Dyer. Brent and I continue the theme of self-care as we discuss some lessons learned from a horrific mass casualty incident he was recently part of. I know this conversation is going to add value to you. So sitting across from Brent Dyer, truly awesome to be able to be here on your turf. I'm super excited uh, to have you. Thank you for being here, buddy. Well, thank you for making the drive up here today. (laughs) It was a beautiful drive. (laughs) Uh, early in the morning. So um, yeah, absolutely perfect. And uh, Brent, I have been, I've known you for 15, 16 years, maybe longer. It has been a, it been quite a while. It has. Yeah. I have been a fan. I love sitting uh, in the room when you do well, lectures. Likewise. And <laughs> <laughs> if we, we've shared the stage with some we leadership have. stuff, my we favorite have. Talk, topic. Yeah. So we've been blessed, haven't we? We absolutely have. Yeah. So yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, I know this podcast is going to help a lot of people, and we're just going to have a conversation. I know it's going to get heavy about some things, and that's okay. Sure. Um, but really, before we sort of jump in, for those that don't know you, which everybody in the state of Tennessee— Well, I don't <laughs> you know, know, but— uh, But walk us through your EMS journey. Sure. Well, uh— Man, I tell you, I, for whatever reason, I knew what it was that I wanted to do as a as a as a kid. I don't know why, but I knew, and perhaps it was purpose. I don't know, but uh, in my senior year of high school, I was in EMT school, and uh, then I got my first job, regional ambulance service. Right at eighteen years old, man, I was ready to go. You know. <laughs> And uh, and then, uh, just in no time, I think, I was hired by Wilson County Emergency Management Agency, uh, WEMA. And I was there 12 and a half, 13 years. Uh, I, you know, worked some part-time over the years at Smith County and uh, in the hot, at emergency room at Summit. Um, and then, uh, I guess it's 2012, somewhere around in there, I went to Nashville Fire Department. And uh, after a short time there, I was transferred over to the Training Academy. Since 2007, been adjunct faculty there at Vol State in the Health Sciences Center of Emphasis. You know, they teach con ed and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and uh, for a few years, uh, I was training officer up here at Robertson County. And then uh, 2015, I guess, I took a role there in Sumner County after my dear friend Mike Anderson passed away. Yeah. He was their training officer, and he and I yep. used to go down to Meharry Medical College and teach yeah. the young physicians together. And he was more country than I am. <laughs> and <laughs> so when he and I would show up, you know, boys and girls, we're here to teach y'all. You know, ladies and gentlemen, here we, we come to teach y'all about, you know, resuscitation. <laughs> they look at each other like, what in the world is this? <laughs> 30 minutes later when he would be teaching the smoke coming off their pencils you know he's taking a lot of notes and they loved it yeah and, and we loved it and but after after my dear friend there uh left us i had the honor of fulfilling his position man i you know 
And that's that, a lot to yeah, me. That was a great opportunity. That was a very uh, honorable and humbling experience to get to do. So uh, I, I served there for eight years as a deputy chief of training and clinical issues for Sumner. And uh, this and that, and man, and here we are. Uh, just this past October, I took a role as EMS chief here in Robertson County. How has that been for you? Man, it's been really cool because... A big step, yeah, a big change, right? Probably 18 or so years ago. I yeah. remember working up here as a part-time EMT when I was going in through medical school. And uh, under the director chief at the time, uh, Jackie Wilkerson. Yeah. And, you know, back then, we didn't know what we made. We didn't care. We just, he loved us so much and we loved him. So we just come to work and we enjoyed it, you know. Yeah. And uh, we try to bring a little bit of that back up in, you know. And uh, it's, it's been really good so far. So new into uh, the chief role, director role, what's been the biggest eye-opening thing from transitioning to now being the lead? <clears throat> well, I tell you, I used to be pretty good at being able to help people learn, you know, how to be very solid at their, you know, you know all the medical side of things and i feel like if i'm not careful that some of that's going to slip away from me the more i seem to learn about budgets and uh and writing policies and things of this nature and the politics uh it seems like the more i learn about that the uh the the less i seem to remember about tiles and pharmacology (laughs) so uh i told uh, barb our training officer i said i gotta get on that ambulance and put that paramedic shirt on before I get too rusty. <laughs> I think you yeah. could recall it at, at, at any uh, point. Yeah, when you <laughs> when you certainly have to. Well, congratulations on that you. achievement. I you, appreciate you. You have worked so hard for that, and yeah. you've, you, you and I both have, right. have been under the guidance of incredible mentors. Oh, and man. Isn't that so important for what oh, we do and wow. leaning on our brothers and sisters that came before yeah. us? Our network is one of our greatest treasures. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Uh, people may not realize the power of that yeah. and uh, and who you attach yourself to. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, it yeah. is. And, you know, not only for leadership but in life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Professional life, personal life, spiritual life. Yeah, everything. All these things. Yeah. And that kind of is a great segue into you really why we're here today and what we're going to talk yeah. about and it's probably important for everybody listening to this to you know just kind of summarize what it's been like for uh, the EMS community the first responder community and the healthcare community in general mm-hmm. um, we are recording this in April of 23 and probably over the last three weeks, our area, southeast, yeah. and, and across the country, where, right. you know, we're, we, we hear things that are in the mm-hmm. media, have been hit <clears throat> so hard with multiple mass casualty events. And you guys dealt with one of them, and we're, we're going to talk right. about that. But I, I wanted to put in perspective for everybody listening on about a... 72-hour, 96-hour period mm-hmm. on what happened. So your call was on a Sunday morning, if oh, I remember correctly, right. and you had a total of, it was a mass casualty incident with six deaths 
um, right. many of them pediatric deaths. Um, you and I spoke about 24 hours later, it right. was early Monday yeah. morning, I had reached out to you. We're going to talk about that phone call in just a minute. And we were talking, and hours later, um, me and my medical director are north of Nashville doing a, a training, and we got notified of the school shooting. So mm. I went back mm. to a campus and uh, had an opportunity to interact with you know, many of the crews, uh, hospital staff and, and pre-hospital staff. And <clears throat> that was a tough, you know, week. And then before that and after your event, there have been a lot of other mass casualty events. I think there were a total of three helicopter crashes within a period of about a week. Yeah. Uh, one in Kentucky, one in Alabama, um, in Arkansas, in yeah. other areas, the yeah. tornado. So... <clears throat> I think, Brent, I could describe when I walked into the ER, you know, just following the the patients arriving at the shooting, the weight in the environment was like you felt the heaviness. It was oh, yeah. so much pressure. And um, it was tough. And, and you had, you know, shared a, con, a, a concern when we talked that, you know, you really want to do something. It was like, you know, I, I got to get you on the podcast and we got to yeah. talk. But Brent, let's go back to the scene that you guys work. Sure. Let's, let's talk about that. And we'll go as far as you want to go yeah. with this. Yeah. Um, that particular day uh, was a Saturday, uh, two weeks ago now. And it was nice. It was nice. And it had just been, you know, sometimes it's just busy, just kind of sort of, you know, typical stress but mm -hmm. just a busy week just a busy week so so thankful to have a day off you know saturday came know where we had to be just yet and uh i was out on the porch early that morning and uh had the dog out there yeah. and uh just took a sip of coffee and uh had uh been in an old rocking chair just for a few minutes just kind of chilling man just you know, just in a little peace and quiet. And uh, then I found out and got a call, said that, uh, hey, we got two fixing to possibly have to have three trucks shut down. And then uh, some sickness, some, we had a couple people out on FMLA issues, things of this nature. And uh, we had a supervisor I had sent off on a specialized training that I wanted them to get. So uh, with those call outs and all that, the way it worked out, I said, well, it's a Saturday. It's probably going to be kind of busy, nice weather. So myself uh, and actually our training officer uh, and then one of our captains came in and we staffed ambulances. And, uh, you know, we talk about servant leadership. Yes. And uh, we don't ever need to be in a position where we either become either too good or afraid to do the work of our people. Uh, plus, it helps to exhibit our own competencies. So uh, we, we staffed the ambulance, and I knew, I just, I don't know, brother, I, I had that, you know, we get them gut feelings. Yes. But I oftentimes don't want to verbalize that. 100%. Because I don't want to speak something into fruition. Yeah. And I don't know, I thought, well, we've made it all this time throughout the whole shift. Maybe we're going to get by. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not going to have to go out here and actually 
knock the dust off that paramedic license right. after all we had went on five calls okay barb and i before the evening fairly slow <clears throat> we got canceled on every one of them except one and there's an assault kind of guy who got a refusal uh, you know so hey man we went on laid down and been a minute since I had uh, slept at the station, you know. So, you know, it's six foot five and a big fella. You know, I always had trust issues with these little twin beds yes. in these EMS stations. I get it. I get it. <laughs> They're know? not comfortable yeah, anyway. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, when we ordered some not long ago, I made sure and bought the metal, heavy duty ones, just in case that I actually worked. At, you know what I'm saying? Uh, little, there was a couple of them little wooden looking beds. Brother, I just didn't trust them things, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, so, man, about 2 o'clock in the morning, tone went off. And uh, you know how it is when the other truck's up. Yeah, you know, none yeah. of us forget that. You can get a little rest, you know, because you know, hey, they're up. Well, the tone went off, and it was a, a medical call. Okay. They didn't even check in route. The tone went back off. And it's saying that we're second truck due, I-24. MVA, it was initially called in by crash detection technology. We get in route. I mean, we get out the door pretty quick, and uh, Barb, she's driving, and uh, we're going in through there. And I had told her, I said, ain't we a sight? Here we are here at 2 o'clock morning running this ambulance down Highway 49. <laughs> uh, and I was really, you know, hoping that the other truck get there, hey, no injuries, you know, y'all cancel. I thought, man, we on this cancel streak. We're doing good. Fire apparatus, first fin apparatus got on the scene. There's a little rescue, two guys on it from Pleasant View Fire Department. Volunteer Fire Department here. And their situation report, um, you could tell in their voice, but they were cool, calm, and collected. Very impressive. But what they said when they gave a sit rep, on the number of patients they had found already and the conditions they were in. They were saying we have multiple apparently deceased, some of them very critical. Um, we're trying to do what we can. We need more help. We need more help. We'll need more units. And they said, you know, multiple pediatrics, you know, multiple ejections. And I'm like, oh, oh, wow. And for a minute I thought I was dreaming. I checked myself because I thought this is a nightmare. And, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you know, I'm dreaming that I'm at work. Then I, it, it sped up with me just real quick and I realized, no, no, this is reality. This is, then I remember the thought come across me, oh, we're fixing to, we're fixing to um, be doing this. And, uh, and I immediately felt thankful that I was one of the people actually on there. With with Barb, I thought, well, you know, we. I remember thinking, okay, well, in that first in ambulance, I knew they had some considerable experience, and that made me. I was thankful, uh, you know, that people had never. I thought this is fixing to be bad, and uh, so I immediately kind of started worrying about her folks, and uh, and Barb, she said, did they just say what that? She repeated what they said. I said, yes, ma'am, they did, and she and I didn't even say anything else to each other until we pulled up <clears throat> we pulled up and we got out and uh they already had some of the uh you know children covered over and 
course, we we went ahead and uh, not that we didn't trust everybody, but uh, we wanted to make for sure. And you know, uh, start triage versus regular uh, jump start, or excuse me, jump start triage specific to pediatrics. You give two breaths before, you know, um, just pronouncing somebody as a black tag or is deceased. So, man, that's a lot of, uh, you know, you look at, you're trying to do all those things right, and, you know, you teach on it and teach on it and teach on it. So, you know, it's one thing to teach on it. It's another thing to do it and try to remember to do it right. Had one critical salvageable adult was in the back of the ambulance. They said, man, we need help. And so hopped up in there and just went to work. And you know what? You're right. It's like riding a bicycle. That that strong, those strong paramedic skills, they don't, they don't fade, thankfully, uh, as much as one thinks they might. <clears throat> and uh, so that's difficult because I knew, but I trusted Barb. She went out there and she, she reconfirmed. And then, unfortunately, there was nothing else that could be done. And as soon as uh, we brought in air medical, so Life Flight 3, Justin Holton was one of the personnel, mm-hmm. and he's a friend of mine. When he crawled up and uh, he stepped up into the side of the ambulance, I said, brother, I take up a lot of real estate. I'm a big fella. I'm going to get out and let you come in and talk to the crews. We've got the lady RSI, uh, successful intubation, you know, a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma, a lot of facial trauma, these sorts of things. And uh, but things did good. Paramedic uh, Wade McCarroll, he uh, and his partner uh, Rupert, AMT Rupert here, they did a, they did a really, really good job, man with that poor lady and uh <clears throat> when i stepped back out barb had already ran ecgs just to confirm and she was covered in mud i mean it was all over her and all the way up her legs and were were just covered with mud and i said what 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 are you what happened? and so i realized that to access some of these patients some of them were just in the mud and uh, they had to get down and then it was so bad the mud was that it would all the way up to their 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 thighs and uh, a couple of personnel when uh, we got down in there you know just double checking everybody and doing secondary searches all these things was losing shoes in the mud so we was yeah. out there walking around barefooted for you know where i say with our soft feet a couple times and uh and it's like you say when you walked into the ed that sense of heaviness and after that helicopter lifted off and all you got is just the roar of those diesel engines there was silence nobody was saying anything interstate was shut down every now and then the the up the, the westbound or, or excuse me the eastbound lanes that were still moving you know they would go by and then folks and i remember thinking those folks traveling eastbound they have no idea what's happening over here on this westbound side you know what's sitting over here right now and uh, and thank goodness they don't. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, thank goodness they don't. But but I tell you, when you we talk about that, and you want to you want to do something to get these, you want to just pick them up and hold them. You just want to pick them up and clean them up. Yeah. And put them somewhere safe instead of having them laying out here. You know, of course, investigation. Uh, THP, you know, in charge and have to do their investigation. You know, we don't, we're not going to disturb Ed and, you know, we got ME's office and route and all these things. And you still are trying to process 
man, what is happening here? Am I forgetting something? What else do I need to be doing? Are my people all right? And <clears throat> all these things. And Cheatham County came to us. They transported one of the uh, stable adults involved. So a total of nine patients. I'd say uh, one critical adult, two stable adults, and uh, and then you know six deceased. Uh, and of those deceased, you know, at least two of them were still in diapers. Yeah. And uh, I remember noticing that, you know. But uh, all this, you talk about um, these these scenes or, or those environments. And, uh, you know, walking into the ED there like that, you know, the Bible speaks, I believe, about situations like this. You know, it calls it the valleys of the shadows of death. And the 23rd Psalm, and what I want people to realize, and what I, a little bit of wisdom, will may be able to share here, is there is some key words there. And I speak on this sometimes, and I've heard it spoke on, and I just want to share it. And... It talks about the shadows, you know, and uh, in this valley of death, you know, and the, the rod and the staff, you know, comfort you. Well, what, I, what people need to realize is that a shadow cannot exist, no matter how dark something is, no matter how much darkness has been brought either at the hands of evil or at the hands of just a horrible tragedy uh, accident, whatever the case may be, a shadow cannot exist without some degree of light. And oftentimes, the darker something is, even the smallest light stands out the brightest. People that do what we do for a living, we're bringing the light. And you don't necessarily have to be the light but you can at least just be the mirror that spreads it. So no matter how minuscule that you felt your role was, no matter how little you felt you could get done in such a situation that was so busy, very task-oriented environments, right? No matter what your role was, you were still a part of the light. You know, and the other thing that I'll share with this, and I won't let you say something here, brother, is uh, the other, before I forget it, because I'm feeble-minded. <laughs> you know, we share this uh, yeah, trait. Uh, I sound like Hank Hill, you know, so if you could edit some kind of fancy software that takes away the country accent, brother, you go for it. <laughs> I would never do it. But, hey, it's part of the character. Uh, uh, is what it is, you know. But here's what I do. Enough seriousness. I do want people to know this too. When we go out here and we have a great outcome, we these things that have happened recently are some of the worst of the worst. Yeah. It's unimaginable. Yes. Actually. We when we something good happens and it's a miracle. We call it a we call sometimes we call things miracles. We call things it's a big win. We celebrate. We give awards, and that's good, and we need to keep doing that. But when we do that, when somebody gets a ROSC, you know, or we get a save on a cardiac arrest patient, or you know, uh, you go here and you deliver a baby, you know, you get to be there when new life comes into this world. 
and you get a front row seat to that, man, how cool. But when we have something good that happens, nobody struts through the ER, nobody comes strutting through the fire hall or the EMS station with their chest stuck out. I did that. You don't see any of us going around taking single-handed credit for something that the team was a part of. And that's good. That's not, we wouldn't want that, right? My point here is we do not single-handedly carry the honor solo when something goes right and when you are able to save a life. So when we are there and life has been lost, not one person should ever, ever single-handedly feel like they take ownership of that darkness. It's not theirs to own, and it's not theirs to bear on their own, on their own shoulders. Even if something didn't go right, oh, you dropped an ET tube and you had to take 10 seconds extra to go out here and open up another 7.5, you know, right. whatever. Nobody's getting hypoxemic here, you know, nobody. Yeah. You know, these things happen, okay? You know, and uh, people don't need to be out here beating themselves up over failures and things of this nature. And they don't need to be taking ownership, solo ownership of the bad stuff. You know, I think one of the things that you mentioned, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions about that, is I think we inherently do that where, especially new in our career, where we do take it personal, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, our performance and, you know, we're, we're critiquing that. And but you bring up a great point that's where we need our brothers and sisters to help as soon as we isolate ourselves the good and the bad that is where we need people around us so walk us through that Brent with why why you made that comment because that came from experience what have you learned on a deeper level it did you know we we have very high expectations of ourselves we have been entrusted. We have been given the gifts and talents to fulfill very powerful purpose with what we do in life. And how blessed. I think a lot of people out there who become d- depressed and, and overly anxious sometimes, I believe a lot of times they, ha- they ha- are just lost in the discovery of their purpose. Now here's where I'm going with that. Is, so aren't we blessed that we have found our purpose and then some of us have been so blessed and so entrusted by our Creator that we have not only discovered our purpose, but we have found a position in life where we can lead others to their purpose. You know, that's like the how. You know, you look into all this Maslow stuff, and all, that's like the highest point. You know, of the pyramid, yeah. transcendence. You know, but here you go, and you get to this point. And we have such high expectations of ourselves. We are the kind of people, we like to fix it. We have all these tools, all this training, all these resources, but yet I still can't do nothing for this little child over here. Helpless. Helplessly laying in the mud. I got a whole advanced life support ambulance sitting there, and here stands Mr. Pediatric, you know, wants to go all across the state and help teach about pediatrics. 
you know how useless and helpless I felt. Yeah. You know, I'm like, man, I <laughs> people, uh, I'm honored. And you know, they, re you know, Bev, go out here and help them with their registry test and all these things. And I'm sitting here thinking, all this knowledge and all these experience with skills, and there ain't nothing I can do. And man, that's a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow. But here, that is just, I don't want to say it's part of it. It's an unfair part of it, you know, because we do. We train and we, we train so hard and we stay so prepared. And so folks have a hard time with that when it gets to that point. And it's like, okay, it's over with now. There's nothing left that I can do or maybe there was nothing I could do to begin with. Yeah. And um, I tell you, that really is where, that's where the destroyer, your creator puts you, you know, out here to do these things and to help tend the flock as the sheepdogs of our communities. And uh, the wolf and the destroyer, I, I, that's, you know, kind of some of my generic terms, you know, for heaven and hell, and, you know, the creator and the destroyer. And, uh, but the destroyer will come along at that point in time and he'll use those cheap shots on you to start getting in your mind, you know, or to start kind of attacking your heart because we're such passionate people yeah. about what we do and our incredible agape love for others. You know, if we feel that, you know, if that gets a little weakened because of these horrible things that we're exposed to, that's when those moments will happen, you know. And we have to be wise to this. We have to be wise to that. That uh, we don't need to you uh, allow those moments of darkness around us. That's when we need to be the strongest. Yeah. We need to bring in that force field, you yeah. know, of that network. So with your and you're an amazing leader, and I'm. I know your your team and every everywhere you've served are thankful for everything you've done. Your crews that were on the scene, there was a lot, right? There's the yeah. police, uh, law enforcement, there's first responders, there's fire. So <clears throat> after the events, generally speaking, how have how have the crews been? You were about two weeks post event. Yeah. You know what? What are some of the things that you've that you've learned you, from that? I tell you, I believe we have come a very long way with how we mitigate things like this. You and I both remember a time, as well as many people here listening to this, we all remember a time where you would you would manage a call such as this, or such as these shootings, such as these tornado responses, the helicopter crashes, and you would just, when your shift was over, you would just go home. And you carried that stuff to the house with you. Yes. No wonder ER nurses and physicians and paramedics and EMTs and firefighters and police officers have some of the highest divorce rates. No wonder that some of the people, when we, the people wearing the uniforms and the stethoscopes around their necks are some of the most broken folks out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. No wonder. We carry the weight. Yeah, yeah. We, we carry this unfair weight. And brothers and sisters, it's not ours to own. Yeah. It's not. And, uh, but this being said, this being said, 
one of the things I was very proud of is, is Barb and a young lady here named Emily Hughes. They head up our CISM process. CISD, different people call it, but the stress management, the critical instant stress debriefing. When the call was over, everybody who wanted to come and could come went to Pleasant View's Fire Hall. Very nice facility, had a lot of room. We had people, specifically trained people, who came out early in the morning. Now, by that time, it was like 7 a.m. And led an initial debriefing. And then just a couple days later, we had a big group meeting out at our dispatch center and brought in everybody with the state's debriefing team, the state's uh, CISD, uh, CISM team. And I'm here to tell you. Uh, and then also there are some resources that are out there. Uh, some good friends of mine, uh, Patty and Gil Carter with Crossroads Mission Care, they both have uh, very extensive histories, mental health counseling, but now they've retired and they've devoted their time now. They actually, for free of charge, will help counsel first responders. people. And then if you need more, they easily help you work with, you know, your insurance or whatever to establish with someone. A, a provider and build that relationship but that and I asked I asked and I got some really good feedback from our crews it's like that is what we need to keep doing on this kind of stuff and then I we don't we, we don't want to worry everybody you know just, don't want to just keep bugging people but we have tried to do our best to check in and okay. set reminders and check in and just call folks. Yeah, the consistent yeah. activity. You know, Brent, what, <clears throat> this is a, a, a powerful question, is there are some people that are listening to this that can only imagine what it's like to be on a mass casualty scene. Mm, they, sure. they, they've yeah. trained and yeah. they're doing it and they're preparing for that and then you have the other type of people that have been involved and maybe mm -hmm. the stress is you know uh, weighing heavily on them where they haven't been able to unpack it or unload the backpack yeah. so you know share some final words with us about you know encouragement because um, you're an encourager just being around yeah. you is you, well, you just feel that. better yeah. But what could you share with everybody and, you know, giving them hope and encouragement for those listening to this yes. for have dealt with it or will be dealing with something yeah. like this in the future? Well, fear and love are two of the most powerful human emotions that we know of. And you dive off into some of the research on those. They talk about it shows the amount of cognitive ability that you lose when you are in love or when you love something or so passionate about it and we are the kind of people we love human life and then the other emotion fear fear can cost you up to about half your cognitive ability so we have to set the fear here's one of the things i think that scares people the most is who emergency medical providers all the way from the physicians you know down to rookie emts is uh, the fear of failure, the fear of failure. When people come in and they're new paramedics, one of the first thing I tell them, 
uh, when either I was training them or nowadays hiring them. Tell them that uh, I want you to fail. You're going to fail, and I want you to know that we welcome failure. It's part of the CQI process, you know. And I tell them, don't seek perfection. Seek progress instead. Seek progress, not perfection. We're never going to be perfect. Our Creator was the closest to perfection that we'll ever see on earth. And, uh, you know, we just celebrated Easter there. So, but grace, give yourself some grace. And those of us who do look over CQI and, you know, then you get into accountability if there's mistakes and all this. Those of us that are, we don't need to forget where we came from. People are going to make mistakes and mistakes are necessary. Brother, I want to share this. Wisdom is a byproduct <clears throat> Excuse me. Wisdom is the byproduct of learning from failure, learning from mistakes. So I tell people, you'll never ever become wise if you haven't made some mistakes. Lord knows I've made mine. And um, so that's why I say failure, some failure and mistakes are necessary, you know. So otherwise, you never have opportunity to learn from it. So uh, that being said, these things are not going to go perfect. 23 years of experience, a list of, you know, credentials and all this, you know, at the yin-yang and, you know, someone that I'm so blessed to be able to help a lot of people in a state already and all this, but yet there I stood, almost knee-deep in the mud, helpless. You're never going to be able to be perfect, and I'm sure there's things we didn't do right. When I saw the expression on the face of my friend and brother, Chief Gilmer, with the National Fire Department, his assistant chief, operations chief down there, the day with the incident with the school in Nashville, and uh, and some of those folks, and I've heard from some of the folks down there, good friends and colleagues. I know how they feel now. Now, not necessarily because that was a really a, that's man, that's the hands of evil. What in the world, you know? These things are hard to process, brother. So, but it's never going to go perfect. And a lot of times people will be too hard on themselves because they don't feel like they function perfectly. They need to let go of that. That ain't going to happen. And we don't expect it as an industry. Leaders need to make sure that they tell their people that they don't expect them to be perfect. They just expect them to progress. And what we're going to do is we're not going to perfect our way through this darkness. We're going to progress our way through this darkness. We're going to give each other a little grace. We're going to give each other some patience. And we've got to give each other a little agape love. And before we give it to each other, we've got to give it to ourselves. And that's what I can leave you with. I am so grateful that I was able to share this conversation with you. Also, don't forget to check out the TIMSA website for current information about July's conference. It will be a conference that you would definitely want to attend. Until next time, remember, be intentional about your leadership journey and lead yourself well.